Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember, Tales, Truths, Delights from 100 Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. When you hear Scotland, what do you think of? Maybe bagpipes, kilts, or the poet Robert Burns, or maybe Braveheart on film, or time travel to Scotland on the TV show Outlander. But let's travel right now through information and memories to a country rich with beauty, culture, and fun. Scotland's the most northerly of the four parts of the United Kingdom and occupies about a third of the island of Great Britain. The country is roughly divided into the Scottish Highlands in the north and west, which are the highest elevations in the British Isles, a brooding wild landscape. The Central Highlands is a rift valley with coal and iron-bearing rocks that fuel Scotland's industrial revolution. The Southern Uplands are gentle hills interspersed with broad valleys. Scotland also has around 800 islands, many uninhabited. We'll be highlighting the must-sees of Scotland with our Scottish guests, Bruce McAlpin and his sister, Rona Patterson. They grew up on a sheep farm outside of Edinburgh, which has been in the family for generations. Bruce works in finance and studied in Edinburgh before living and working in England, Africa, America, and back to England. Rona studied in Aberdeen, Scotland, and after a few years in England, moved back to the Edinburgh area. Welcome to Places I Remember, Bruce and Rona. Hi, Leah. Hi. So, hi. Scotland's retained its national character for centuries. How would you describe it, Bruce? The character, yeah, I think there's an independent streak somewhat warm but maybe cold to the outsider sometimes I think it depends but yeah the one word I'd choose would be independent more than anything else absolutely I think you're also inventive because I read that you invented the steam engine the telephone the tv penicillin and the bicycle I would definitely say that's a trait I think yeah I think that's and creative, yeah. No, I think that the event of that and that list is just the beginning. I don't know. Did you just mention Dolly the sheep, the first? No. Cloned, cloned Tell sheep. me yeah, about so the cloned sheep, right? The, the cloned sheep, yeah. That was uh, near Edinburgh, and I think the list is much longer. And it's pretty impressive. And, How about the creative side? Harry Potter, Peter Pan, Sherlock Holmes, yes. Sherlock Holmes, yeah. All and also not talking about Robert Burns, who we might get to later, and. And then you've got some of the, the Enlightenment thinkers, David Hume, Adam Smith. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a whole heritage. I mean, at, at one point, or even now, sometimes people call Edinburgh the, the Athens of the North. So it's, yeah, it's a, there's a culture there, definitely. Very impressive. Let's talk about some of the must-sees for a visitor. There are two major cities we're all familiar with. The first is near your home, the compact, hilly capital, Edinburgh. Will you please start us off, Rona, with what we shouldn't miss? Well, Edinburgh has a lot to offer, from its cobbled streets to its old buildings, to the castle, to the modern Scottish Parliament, to Holyrood Palace. And then we have Arthur's Seat as well, which is a large area of ground in the middle of which they can people can climb to the top of. I heard you can rock climb. Can you rock climb as well? Yeah, there's part of it's known as the crags, which is near the top. It is actually quite um, uneven underfoot, but it makes it all the more um, of an achievement when you get to the top and the views are spectacular. You can see right down into the Scottish borders, right across into Fife and across towards Glasgow. It's worth the climb um, and you can see the people at the top. They're 
tiny little speckles when you're in the city um, up looking across. Um, and I think people climbed it many a times, but I haven't done it at sunset or sunrise. But I believe that it's definitely worth adding to the list. Now, why is it called Arthur's Seat? Is it what I think? I think it is shaped. That is certainly shaped like a seat. Bruce, you, you might know that. That's what I always assumed, but I, I don't. Well, I read, I read yeah. that it's King Arthur, that some claim it was the site of the mythical Camelot. Have you heard that or not? That's as good a story as any. Yeah, it's, it's a uh... good story. But I like the idea of being able to rock climb in the middle of a city. I mean, that's fantastic and a very rare thing. So what else? How about in the castle? What do, What is there? Are the crown jewels in the castle? They are there, yes. Yeah, my, one of my favourite things to do with visitors is to go to the real Mary King's Close. Um, so it's on the Royal Mile and you arrive um, and you're on just off the top of the Royal Mile and then they take you underground and there's the whole of the a preserved 17th century street underneath the ground and it's all still there. Um, and it really is, like you cannot imagine that it it's there until you're underneath. It's um, fabulous. And you can, it's unbelievable. I actually did that. I was taken there and it is spooky and fascinating and one of the best underground situations I've ever been to. It's, it, it, that's under the castle, right? Where it was, yes. Just slightly down from the castle. Yeah, it's on the Royal Mile, but I think that and the ghost walks that they, there's lots of opportunities to go on ghost walks around the old town as well, because there's the old town and the new town. Um, but the old town, I think, yeah, the, the buildings kind of talk for themselves. And as you walk around, you see lots of different things that kind of capture the life that's gone before us. I like that they call it the new town. I know it's really 19th century, but it's new versus medieval times. So it's it's, yeah. it's an interesting neoclassical setting in the new town as well. I took a tour in a sidecar. I, I don't know if they do that still. Someone drove a motorcycle and I was in the sidecar and they took me all the way up and all around. And it was a wonderful way to see the city. I don't know if they still have those tours, but I loved it. How about accommodations? I know there's camping and glamping and B&Bs and budget hotels, but what's the best hotel, would you say, in Edinburgh? Well, there is a very nice hotel at both ends. So there's the Barmoral, which is at the one end of Princess Street. And then there's the Caledonian, which is at the other end of Princess Street. And they're both very nice hotels that they often have a kilted or a tartan trousered man waiting at the door to carry your luggage for you. Um, and they do a very nice afternoon tea as well. But they're very, two very nice hotels. There are two unique properties you should check out. Even if it's just to get a drink at the bar. One is Thingle. Have you heard of Thingle? It's a boat. You can actually live on the boat. It's in the Port of Leith. There are 23 luxury cabins. There's a lighthouse bar. You can go there for tea or a drink. And it's really interesting as a, as a form of lodging in the city. The other one is called Prestonfield House. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I actually had dinner there once. It's wickedly dramatic. It's very glam, very opulent, lots of silk and wall coverings and velvet. And it's really a, a one of a kind. So again, pop in and look at it, even if you don't stay there. It's, it's really special. That's where our parents had their wedding reception in Prestonfield House. So we know that one. Do you agree with me? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's a special place. Very over the top. Yeah, we okay. sent them back there recently for their wedding anniversary. And the one thing that I always remember is in the, my parents' wedding photograph, they have a peacock um, in the in the photograph. And then if you go back now, they have peacocks walking around on the grass outside Preston Field House. Wow. Okay, let's go on to Glasgow, which is Scotland's port city on the River Clyde. It's in the Western Lowlands. 
It's known for its Victorian and Art Nouveau architecture, which is a legacy of the city's 18th century to 20th century prosperity due to trade and shipbuilding. Bruce, how would you differentiate Edinburgh and Glasgow? So Edinburgh really, culturally, it's kind of quite conservative and, and can be thought of as being quite cold. In contrast to that, Glasgow is is really thought to be much warmer. And that has been my experience too, where, where people are more open and friendly. And yes, it rains more, but there's maybe a, a greater warmth to it. Where Edinburgh, I mean, we can talk about some of the history there, but it's kind of, a, you know, that's where the Queen stays when she's in Edinburgh rather than in Glasgow. And there's the castle and the crown jewels and everything. But Glasgow's uh, cultural. So I think most of the times that I've been in Glasgow has actually been to listen to live music at the Barrowlands. And that's where bands stop rather than being in Edinburgh. And then there's the the School of Art. And I mean, the most famous, I think, is Charles Rennie Mackintosh. My favorite. Um, One of my favorite architects in the entire world. You, You just, I love Glasgow because of Mackintosh. What is his specialty? What makes him so special? Sort of the designs are kind of straight lines. But a very modern, modern, his his take on Art Nouveau, if you you like Frank Lloyd Wright or any of that era around 1900 or so, he's just got a special way about doing it. His his wife actually did a lot of the work. I studied him a bit and she doesn't get a lot of the credit. So I'm going to give her some credit right now, Mrs. McIntosh. But my favorite house that he has done is called the House for an Art Lover. It's in Bella Houston Park. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, but it's a beautiful house. You could go in there, look at it, see the natural light and space. He he was designing at a time of dark, you know, interiors, heavy, overstuffed things, and it's so light and beautiful. And there's a restaurant where you can dine al fresco, and it's very lovely in the summer. A couple of other things in Glasgow that I like, besides what you mentioned, is of course the Scottish Opera, the ballet, and theater. A lot of that. There's also a city center mural trail with lots of street art. It's really great. Botanic Gardens, there's 50 acres of them with 12 glass houses with all kinds of interesting tree ferns inside. And there's Pollock Country Park, which has 360 acres, and it has herds of cattle right in the city, which you can see automatically. So it's really kind of cool. I think it's a, a city you don't think about. You think of Edinburgh, like you said, it's more famous, but Glasgow's got a lot going for it. Yeah, and the other thing, actually, about two main football clubs, Glasgow Celtic, Glasgow Rangers, and it's as as an intense a rivalry as you'll get anywhere. So I know sometimes people come to the UK to watch the Premier League, but if you were in Glasgow and you could get a ticket to watch either of, either of those teams play, I mean, I think that that would, that's, I've been to Ibrox once and it, it's a real, real experience. So that's another sort of variant that you, you, you don't get anywhere else in Scotland. Okay, let's stop a little bit and talk about Scottish food. Tell us some specialties that we only find in Scotland. Probably everybody knows haggis. I don't know. Did you have it, Leah, when you were visiting? I've had haggis. Tell me about it. What is haggis? Well, I mean, haggis is a delight. It's got oatmeal and then it's got some other bits and pieces in it. Um, yeah. Yep, so those bits and pieces that make it different. <laughs> yep, historically, it good. <laughs> historically, those bits and pieces were things you might not want to eat. The awful and the, the whole thing was cooked in a sheep's stomach, but I think now it's it's maybe higher quality and seasoned. I love haggis. Rona, do you love haggis? Mm, if, if you pair it with a nice creamy whiskey sauce, then potentially without <laughs> a creamy whiskey sauce, I'm not sure. I think if you um, put anything with creamy whiskey sauce, it tastes good. 
<laughs> oh, the funny thing is, Leah, that Rona is born on Robert Burns's birthday, and which mm-hmm. and on Robert Burns's birthday, you you eat haggis, right? That's what you do. Well, you do other things too. You you toast the haggis, and you read poetry, and you drink whiskey, or whatever. Well, you but... know, that's famous around the world. They yeah. Uh, yeah. a local place yeah. here, not far from my house, toasts Robert Burns on his birthday with all that stuff. I think they even serve haggis, so that's yeah. really interesting. Now, tell me about cockaliki. What's cockaliki? Oh, cockaliki soup. I know what it is. <laughs> you should go ahead and tell it's us. chicken tell us stewed it. with leeks. Cockaliki. Yeah. How about stovies? Do you know what a stovie is? I look these things up. I, I don't expect you. It's a potato stew. Okay, these are just interesting things. Yeah, I think usually made with leftovers. So it's a way to it's a way to use the leftovers rather than to. Uh, so this is the thrifty Scottish, which I should have said that would be another characteristic, right? Well, you use all the parts of the animal, which today is the right thing to do. We all know that. So you're ahead of your time on that one. Everybody loves Angus beef, scones, Scottish scones, shortbreads. There are wonderful foods that I've eaten many times at fine restaurants. Scottish salmon, of course, nothing better. I think we have to mention something to drink since we're mentioning food, Scotch malt whiskey. This is very interesting. What do you guys think of it? Do the younger people drink scotch? I think everybody can drink it. I mean, I, I, I'm I not a massive drinker of it. I need to have the ones that are lighter in color. And the have PDMS you guys visited people. distilleries? Yeah, so there's a distillery less than two miles from my house. Um, so Glen Kinchy Distillery, they've recently done it all up. It's a beautiful place to visit and there's frequent tours come out from Edinburgh. So if you're in Edinburgh, you can get a tour of Glen Kinchy Distillery. And it's, yeah, it's a really nice experience to go through and see the process and, and learn about that. So we have done that here in Glen Kinchy. Yes, it's very nice. And you get to sample And Mm -hmm. it smells delicious. So uh, as of 2020, there were 134 Scotch whiskey distilleries operating in Scotland. And you can visit many of them if you have the time. I would warn you that you can get tipsy pretty fast when you go to a few of them. Be aware of that. One way to visit them and the country without driving is to take the train. The most luxurious is the Royal Scotsman, a luxury overnight train that I took. It was a 720-mile journey all around Scotland, including distilleries and golf courses and castles. It was just great. And it even has a spa on board. So it tells you what kind of experience that is. It's very Edwardian and very beautiful. So if you ever do that, that's something to aspire to. Let me ask you about the Scottish Highlands. Bruce, there's castles all over there. Can you tell us about some of them? The main one that people see is, I think it's called, um, I might butcher the pronunciation, but Elendonan Castle, which is the one that sort of sticks out into the loch, which I think it's the most picturesque. Another one that that I've enjoyed is Dunvegan Castle on on Skye. Right when you come up coast, there are are ruined castles at various points on the headlands. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a history of castles and people love to take the pictures and they they evoke emotion. Do you have to pay to go in or how does it work? I don't know that we went into the to Elendonan. I mean, if you go to Edinburgh Castle or Stirling or the ones that are more active, you do have to pay, but then you get more for your money. If it's a ruined castle, then you're not really getting anything beyond what sits there. You get your picture. You get your picture for free. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, we're talking about the Highlands. What about the Highland Games? There's some unusual Scottish sports that are played at those games. They're in the summer and I've seen pictures of them. Do you play in some of these sports? Well, I can start with the tossing of the cabers. What is the, that? Um, so that's the huge tree trunk that you you hold as someone who's stronger than me and and tries to tries to throw that sort of up and over. 
the one that I always think of when I think of the Highland Games. There's also the hammer throw. The hammer throwing, yeah. 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 Uh, I think these are practical things, right? They become mm-hmm. uh, games because they people are competitive and it sounds like you needed to do these things for one reason or another. Yeah, throwing yeah. horseshoes over a pin as well. So that would be like, I guess it's things that are around and have been around for a long time because it is a tradition. Right. Well, it originated in the 19th century and there are pipe bands and Highland dancers and it sounds like a lot of fun, even if you don't throw the caber. Now, also in the Highlands, something very familiar, the Loch Ness Monster, affectionately known as Nessie. Supposedly, it lives in Loch Ness up in the Highlands. It's described as a large, long-necked creature with one or more humps. Have you guys seen it? I have not seen it. Is it real? I have not seen it. I've been and looked for it, but we didn't see it the day I was there. I mean, it is. I think, real, I think it is real. I think it is real, but we just, yeah, it's hard to see. Very hard to see. It's It's real. A big thing living so. in a lake, but nobody's seen it. Okay, okay, there I, I'll believe you. There's, there's photographs from the past of it. I've seen them, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I've seen those photos. Okay, I'm going to keep not knowing whether it's real or not. I didn't think it was real, but now I think it might be because you said so. All right, let's go from the Scottish Highlands to the Scottish Islands. There are several hundreds of them, most of them remote and hauntingly beautiful. The four groups are Orkney to the north, the Shetland Islands also to the north, most north, and the Western Isles, the Inner and Outer Hebrides. All of them have rugged landscapes, fishing villages, remote Gaelic-speaking communities. What are the differences, would you say, between those groups, the biggest differences? Geographically, you're right. So Orkney and Shetland are sticking out the top and kind of closer to Norway or to Scandinavia. And so you've got this Norsk influence and there's, I mean, they have their fire festival in Shetland in, in January. And then I think in Orkney, you've got the Scarabray, which you may have, have read about. That. That's, yes, the 12th century Viking. Yeah. yeah. So those are there. And I mean, it's a, I think it's tough. It's, it's a tough landscape, right? Uh, just because of the exposure to the wind and all the rest of it. It's where when you go to the Western Isles, you've got the Gulf Stream coming up the that the western side of Scotland. And yeah, I mean it's obviously still still wild and you can you can go and do wild camping and, and fishing and all the rest of it. But it's uh, it's maybe more traditionally what people imagine as as the Scottish Highlands and Islands where they're all linked up with ferries and you you can go and explore. The Hebrides, right. Yeah. Beaches are spectacular, like truly spectacular colours, the clear water and the white sand. How cold is the water? Pretty cold. Yeah. Can you swim or just walk along the beach? Oh, many people swim in all the coastland of Scotland. Wild swimming is a big thing currently, I would say. It's kind of taken off over over the last few years. So, yeah, the temperature of the water does not put people off doing wild swimming in Scotland. Okay, well, the Outer Hebrides, I've read, are sort of, there's no trees because the Vikings destroyed the tree population to prevent the locals from making boats. That's one reason sometimes you don't have trees, they're deforested. Anyway, let me ask you about the Isle of Skye. That's a very, very popular place to go. I've been there. I know you've been there. What did you feel about that when you were there? Yeah, well, so, I mean, it's a, I think it is a special place that when we were there, the mist was low. So, the, I mean, there are beautiful mountains, the Cullen Mountains there that, that you can go hiking in that I guess you need a good day to, or a day or two to see them. Another thing that you, that's there are these um, fairy pools, which you can swim in, which I don't know whether whether you saw. There's Dunvegan Castle in the gardens and there's all sorts of local fair 
So yeah, a great place. It's a beautiful place. And you can get there by bridge. It's one of the few places that you could drive to, which makes it especially nice. When I was there, I stayed at the house of the Laird of the McDonald clan. He had his house into a, uh, like a lodging. So he was there with his green tartan. His wife was doing cooking lessons and he was talking all about the clan. So it was really interesting about, I learned all about that clan. And while I was there, Barbara Streisand was staying there with her beau at the time, James Brolin. And I guess this is a great place to have an affair because it's so far away from everything that nobody was there, no paparazzi. And I thought, yeah, this is where you should go. Very smart. Anyway, there are other interesting things about Scotland. Tell, Tell us about golf. The modern game of golf originated in 15th century Scotland, right? Yeah, and St Andrews. So I think St Andrews is the home as the home of golf, and you can you can go to St Andrews and play the old course. But there are many other courses. So I mean, the the, the special thing about St Andrews and the other courses in Scotland, or the the famous ones, or the this links golf where it's what very is links dry. Golf? What what is that? It's the normal game of golf, but it's usually beside the sea where the ground is hard and dry. And it's if you imagine your average golf course may have big wide fairways and. If you make a mistake, you're not punished. If you're on a links course, if you you get it wrong, you end up in thick sort of sand dune type grass and, and the fairways are narrow and hard. And it's just, it's hard. There are many sand bunkers, so you can end up hitting the ball into those. And, and as I say, they're characterized by being around the coast. And, and there are lots that you can pay to play on in Fife, but also there are many courses near where Rona stays in, in East Lothian, including Muirfield, where they play the British Open, and others of the, the open courses, so Carnoustie or Turnberry, you can pay to play on as well. And I'd, I'd also just say that the, the golf is an everyman's game in Scotland, so many of the local towns will have golf courses that are affordable to play on, and so it's not just going to a links course. You, you could take your clubs and, and play in small local courses and, and have a lot of fun just experiencing it the way that people experience it. sounds it. like a real golfer would love to do that. It's like one of the things you should do, play at yeah. links course. Yeah, no, yeah. You, you, you definitely could. There's, yeah, there's all sorts and they all, they're all very different. When I think of Scottish music, I think of the bagpipe and Annie Lennox. But anyway, the bagpipe came from the 16th century where various clans had established these pipers and later the instrument was used in wartime to inflame the passions of soldiers. Where would you hear the bagpipe today? You hear it on the streets in Edinburgh. There's always a piper, a lone piper standing piping in Edinburgh on the street. So you would see them on the Royal Mile or around about Prince's Street. But yeah, typically now it would be at an event. So a Cayley. Some people have what's known as a Cayley, which is like a Scottish Highland dancing um, party. And you may have a piper um, there um, to provide the music. And obviously, as you said, at a Scottish wedding, you would often, a piper would pipe in the bride and groom. That sounds nice. I think the sound of a bagpipe is very haunting. And and I always think of Scotland, of course, when I hear it. Now, how about some festivals? I know you've both been to Scottish festivals. Rona, what are, what are some of the ones you've enjoyed? Um, I think like for me, the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, which runs through the month of August um, in Edinburgh, is just, you know, it's amazing because it brings in comedians, it brings in art, it brings in street performers from around the world um, and it's all in one place and it's so accessible you can spend the whole day just ambling around the streets and watching people perform and you can book and go and see people and yeah it's just the atmosphere is it's something you have to kind of experience and I thoroughly recommend visiting Edinburgh at the time of the festival. How about Hogmanay what is that? 
Well, Hogmanay is our New Year celebration. So again, it's just a really good opportunity to yeah, celebrate and have fun. And you know, there's a well-known street party in Edinburgh that's um, around about Princess Street and uh, across the bridges that, that cross um, on top of the station and also over Princess Street Gardens. And it looks up towards the castle. And then at midnight, there's a very good fireworks display, which comes out of Edinburgh Castle. So lots of people visit from, again, all around the world. But we have, Bruce and I have both been as well. So locals really enjoy Hogmanay. Any other festivals? You mentioned the Burns Festival where you tag us. So the, another thing that was invented, which is a, it's not really a festival, but so rugby wasn't invented in Scotland, but it's a sport played seriously. And the game, the seven aside game of rugby was invented in the Scottish borders and, and they're, all the local towns have their seven aside tournaments. It was invented in a place called Melrose. And you can go and, and watch that and then partake in the fun with that too. So so that's a thing. It's a more open and fun game than the full full on rugby in the spring. It's hard to sometimes to learn these games when you come over like cricket's very hard to figure out. Rugby sounds like it's more fun to watch. Okay, Bruce and Rona, the name of the podcast is Places I Remember. So I would love for each of you to share a special memory of your beloved Scotland. Yeah, I just feel really fortunate where I live. Like I think East Lothian has so much to offer, like the beaches. There's two volcanic plugs you can climb to the top of. So there's one that's called Traprane Law and there's one that's called North Berwick Law. And for me, just like climbing to the top of them and looking across the Firth of Forth um, and being able to look out towards the Bash Rock as well, it's just really lovely that and the cheese and just being active like I love being active like you can do paddle boarding um, at the beach you can do horse riding on the beach there's just so much to do that I just feel so lucky to have the opportunity to do those things here in East Lothian. Oh, I'm happy. Bruce what about you? Yeah, I'll go more sentimental. So uh, one of the things in Edinburgh that we haven't talked about is the Scott Monument, which is to celebrate Walter Scott. So this is a kind of weird shaped spaceship looking monument that you can climb up in the inside, or at least you could. I'm I assume you still can. But anyway, my memory is of climbing up that with our grandmother and you get right to the top. And when you're right at the top, I mean, you're literally squashed in this spiral staircase to get to get to the top. And when you get up, you're right in the center of Edinburgh, but you're able to look down and see all the people looking like ants on the bottom. And, and then you can see all of the views all around. And it's, I think, because anytime you're in Edinburgh, you, you can see that monument or when I think of Edinburgh, that's what I think of. And then I think of climbing it with my grandmother as well. And so it's, uh, yeah, the Scott Monument. Lovely. That's my highlight. Lovely. So many people have memories of their family and lovely. I have a wee story or two. I saw Queen Elizabeth way back when she was a young queen. I guess she was on her way to Balmoral Castle. No one was around. A car stopped. It was a black car, remember? And the queen was in the car and I was like right next to the I could see her so closely and she, I will never forget how blue her eyes were. That was something I have remembered all my life. She has gorgeous blue eyes. I have another memory. It was, I think it was 2007, Bruce, when you married my niece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember how wonderful the wedding was at the farm. And Rona was there as well, of course. And all the men were in kilts. I'm going to say this. And I did ask them what was under the kilt. And they said nothing. And I'm going to ask you, Bruce, once and for all, is that true? That is true. Wow. (laughs) I believe you. (laughs) I finally got the answer. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce McAlpin and Rona Patterson. How lucky I am that we are family. And I'm going to say chop a lot, which is thank you. 
in Scott Gallic. I learned that just because I wanted to speak a little Gallic for you. This is an appropriate episode to say that many of you have become like a family, listeners who share a common interest in learning more about the world, traveling with an open mind and heart, and caring about our planet so that we could continue to enjoy its wonders. As I record this episode, just a bit over a year since we started, Places I Remember has been downloaded in 120 countries and almost 2,500 cities around the world. And we're in the top 5% of all podcasts globally, according to Listen Notes search engine. I love to hear from you, and I'll reply whether you comment, ask a question, or even if you think you'd like to come on the podcast with your special travel memories. Contact me on any of my social media links, which you'll find in each episode's show notes, or at my website, placesiremembermealane.com. Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember, so follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version. Follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, places I remember, and keep making your own travel memories. <laughs>